You're listening to Leading Up with Udemy. This podcast is your guide to developing your skills as an emerging or seasoned leader. I'm Alan Todd, your host and the Vice President of Leadership Development at Udemy. Together, we can work, lead, and live differently to create a better world. I had the chance to sit down with Shannon Lewandowski from the Great America Insurance Group. I really like how Shannon talked about finding a career that brought her joy, not necessarily a fancy office and a title. She thought early in her life that's what she wanted, but she figured out just by navigating her career, moving to different places, taking different jobs, she found out what it was that brought her joy and made sure that she worked in roles that brought her joy and worked with bosses that gave her the freedom to be herself. And I think that really resonated with me. And I think if all of us could take a little bit of that and apply it, we'd have a better life. It's where are you going to find your joy? We spend a lot of time at work. And what does it mean to be a top performer? If it is title and an office, there's nothing wrong with that. But is it something more inside of you that will bring you that? Summer is here. For me, that means more time at the beach, traveling, barbecue. And if you're a new college grad, congrats. Maybe that means you're entering the workforce with a new job or internship. We break down everything you need to know about finding your footing in a new workplace. What are the unwritten rules? How do you keep learning and stay engaged? And how do you make the most of the first few years of your career? This week on Leading Up, we have the perfect person answering these questions and more. Shannon Lewandowski is the Development Program Director at Great American Insurance Group. She mentors, trains, and develops interns and entry-level employees into well-rounded and engaged emerging leaders. In addition to creating the intern program at her company, she's had a dynamic and agile 20-year career. Shannon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. All right, so let's start. You're known as someone who brings out the best in interns and entry-level employees. So you have a front row seat watching new college graduates entering the workforce. So let's start. I want to talk about this skills gap. From your experience, how well prepared are new college graduates for the world of work? Well, I think the graduates coming out now are very well prepared technically. I think even more so than, you know, even five years ago. They're getting experience that definitely translates to the job role. I think where some of those skill gaps are, though, is the soft skills, right? And the interacting with people. There's a lot of things to navigate through. Every work environment has a different culture, so getting used to that. So I would say, I always call it the peopling part of your job, is probably where I see the biggest gap. Yeah. I found a study from the Association of American College and Universities, and they asked employers, What's the most important skill required of college graduates? And the employers answered, overwhelmingly, number one answer, the ability to work in teams. And then they asked how well companies felt the graduates were prepared to work in teams. And the majority said they weren't very well prepared. So there's a big gap there. So do you see collaboration as a skill gap? Let's see if we can unpack that. Yeah, in a way, right? In college, we have projects that we have to work with students on, but we're kind of all in that same space, right? We're have classes to balance, maybe, maybe a job, maybe an internship. But when you get into your professional career, it is people at different levels that you're working on projects with. You have 
also different duties that you have to do. You have to manage a schedule and very different personalities. So I think while completing your project in college and working on a team, that is just a very isolated environment where coming into the corporate world, you know, with the project may require vendors, different departments, and and all of that. I think the balancing of those personalities and different tasks is, is really what, what makes it harder. I mean, even I have a hard time with it sometimes. And, and you know, that's that's what I do. So, yeah. So what you're saying is maybe it's impossible to close that gap because you can't create the same environment in college as you have in the workplace. I think you can definitely close it. And I think every um, interaction and different team that you're working on gives you a little more experience, right? And something to draw from that, okay, if this is the way it's going right now, maybe we can try this. Like, So you grow incrementally each team project that you're on, but I still think there's always a growth opportunity. You're always going to encounter something new with project work and team collaboration that you haven't before. Right. So it takes time. I guess the college settings and workplace settings are different. You've set like timelines and the people and the deadlines. So, you know, are there things that you do to help people navigate and make better sense of this transition? Yeah. Part of our intern program, some of the things that I work on are in those beginning stages is introducing them to the different business units in our department and the different areas and getting them comfortable. Also, introducing some of just those professional things like your one-on-ones and and how to, you know, frame those up, having an agenda, talking to your manager and giving them kind of a, a toolbox to pull from, I think helps increase their comfort level and also then their ability to speak up. And just talking about those things, I, I have every other week, I have a debrief with them, which kind of like, what's going on? You know, let's talk about what happened these last couple of weeks. Like, you know, what are your wins? Any cringy things? Let's talk about that and see what we can do. And and just being open with them that it, it's okay. We all have those moments. Let's talk about it. Let's learn from it and see what we can do to do better. So what are their misset expectations? Do they come in with some expectations that aren't met? I think some of them do, right? Whether it's, I thought I would be more involved with this project. I thought I would have this opportunity. I think everybody would love all my ideas, which kudos for for saying them. But I think that expectation setting, things don't move as quickly (laughs) in in corporate as some of us would like and and all of us feel that struggle. So I think there's that expectation like, I'm going to move quick. I'm going to get this project done. Then I'm going on to the next thing. And what we find is we really have to talk about you know, when there's a delay or a pushback in a project or a meeting, or we have to go back and, and redo something, those things are okay. Like we have those meetings, like it's, it's not always going to be smooth. We're not always going to have the cleanest data set. We're not always going to have meetings that work with everybody's schedule and everybody's time frame. that, that creates delay. And if you're waiting on vendors, that's another layer. So just those little things that I, I don't think that they're thinking about can really, it can be frustrating because things aren't aren't moving at the pace they would like it to be. And I find, which I think is great, and sometimes I move at 100 miles an hour with the, this generation coming out, they want to move quick and they want to move fast and they want to get stuff done, which I love. But we have to also, you know, frame out, it's 
sometimes things are slower. So you mentioned this generation, and it made me think there's a professor at NYU, Jonathan Haidt, and he studies this new generation. And he's written a bunch of stuff, a couple of books, and he talks about it quite a bit. He, he says that the generation right now is not in good shape in uh, well-being, in, in, in mental and emotional state. And he hypothesizes that it's because they grew up right at the explosion of the uh, smartphone and social media. And that these have led to feelings of anxiety, stress, depression. Of course, he has all the data, right? 30-year trend lines, and you can see them going up. I'm curious, because you brought up sort of generational, do you see these generational disconnects or differences? You know, I think there's a lot of pressure. They are connected, right? That's how they grew up. I think that phone is a part of their hand now. And I find myself drained at seeing everything that is thrown at you you can look anything up online. There's 10,000 different viewpoints to one scenario. And how do you sift through all that? And I think there's a lot of pressure for them. Everybody's living their best life on social media, right? It's everybody's highlight reel. And that's what people see. And it's very hard to be like, you can only take a small piece of that. You are seeing a small window. Even on LinkedIn, when people post, you know, you are are seeing that highlight reel, you aren't seeing maybe the 10 years of struggle and hard work that they had to put in to get there. Like one post makes it seem like it was easy and instant. What I do love about this generation though, is I think they're very open to talking about that and talking about their mental health and making it a conversation. I think this generation is great because they're going to hold us to some new standards. We're not going to be able to be those workaholics like my parents were, and they're going to force us to have work-life balance because they're demanding it. So I think it's great. I think it'll be a bit, it's a big adjustment for some people to think that way, but I love, I love that they're open. I love that they talk about it. I think that's very important, but I do feel like there is so much, so much pressure. I can't imagine, I can't imagine growing up that way with, with that pressure. But I want to go back to soft skills, leadership skills. So deep down, everybody wants to be great. They want to be great at work, right? We just have this innate desire. I don't want to go to work and not be good. I want to be someone that you think of as a, as a top performer and someone who gets things done and someone that you can count on. So in that vein, what skills do you look for to identify someone as a top performer or what, you know, what advice do you have for our listeners? How do I become great at work? So this is, I think, where I struggled to in part of my career. What does a top performer mean to you? And I think 10 years ago, that was to be leadership, have this title, maybe get an office. But then I realized, I don't know that that's what's going to make me happy. And is that my vision of a top performer? And for me, it was, I see myself as that independent kind of on that independent specialist path, right? To do what I do with learning and development. And that brings me joy. And I know I'm good at my job. So to me, that is my top performer definition. So I think we have to have those conversations and people really have to sit and think about what does that mean to me? Is it that leadership role where I am managing people or is it that independent track where I can excel I can work with people. I can bring my, my knowledge and creativity to this job and it, that best fits my personality. And I think either path is okay. And I see that, that conversations are being had about this and it, it is more accepted. 
and then thinking about how do you want to get there, right? It doesn't happen overnight. And I think those expectations need to be set. There's a lot of hard work. And sometimes it's almost be careful what you wish for too quickly. Like I think um, there's some people that were put into positions and maybe they would have liked to take about a few more steps before they got there to just gain that experience. So I'm a firm believer in getting out of your comfort zone, trying those different opportunities that are presented to you. I think that has helped me in my career. And I've done some things that if you would have asked me, I'd be like, no, we're, I'd never. <laughs> and then I did. And it's great. And definitely insurance wasn't on my my radar at all. You know, I don't, honestly, if you talk to anybody in insurance, they don't say, yes, I want to grow up and be in it in insurance. And we all kind of fell into it, but it's a great industry and we love it. So it's also that it's what, where are you going to find your joy? We spend a lot of time at work and what does it mean to be a top performer? If it is title and an office, there's nothing wrong with that. But is it something more inside of you that will bring you that? Because, you know, some of that is just surface. I was a social worker prior to joining the insurance space and I wanted to go back to school online wasn't an option back then. And so, you know, I moved and that's how I became an adjuster. And it wasn't anything, even even in that time I was adjusting claims and working in that space, my head was always finish school and this is what you're going to do. And one of my managers made me come down to Cincinnati <laughs> to work for three months. And I was like, why do you hate me so much? This is not what I want to do. Like I have one more year left and then I'm not in insurance. And I loved it. And here I am all these years later. So what I say to people, it's great to have goals, but don't have a tunnel and make sure you take those blinders off. And when you're given those opportunities, Take them, even if it's a little bit uncomfortable and not something that you're used to, because it really can lead to some pretty amazing things. And even if it isn't something that you're going to spend the rest of your life doing, it's still an invaluable skill and experience that you're going to gain that will come into play with what you do down the road. So I just think like, you know, after that, I was like, all right, I'm going to do these things and enjoy what I'm doing and live in the moment. And I'm not going to think so far ahead because then I'm not concentrating on what I'm doing or finding joy in that, right? Like if you're always running to the next thing, you never realize maybe what beautiful thing you have in front of you. So I just take a moment, take a breather and grab those opportunities. Yeah. So I love what you said. The old notion was, I want the corner office, the title, and I can't imagine anybody having that picture in their mind today that's entering the workforce that, that you know, they're thinking, well, I want to work from home. But you said something that you figured out what brings you joy. And I think it's a critical, really critical thing. And I'd like to see if we could, could figure that out. We've had some experts on purpose-driven leadership on the show that have talked about the value of developing a purpose, right? For your life, for your professional life and having a, you know, sort of being purpose-driven about that, thoughtful about that end game. But one thing we haven't talked enough about, and since you said, Joy, I'd love to get your thoughts on the idea of cultivating joy and figuring out what it is that brings me joy. How do I cultivate more of it? How might I enable that to drive my career? Because you did it. And if you look at the data on employee satisfaction engagement, you you know, 
most people aren't doing it. They're not finding that which brings them joy. So can you talk about maybe some advice for how you figured it out and how other people can have a new picture for their life that doesn't involve the corner office with a title? Oh, gosh, I'd probably be a millionaire if I could give you the secret on to how I figured it out. I think a lot of um, maybe trial and error, right? But I had some really good leaders that encourage those things or recognize it to to try. But right now in the organization that I'm working, I have a manager who really allows me a lot of freedom to be me, which is lovely, right? And knows what I like to do. And I'm given different tasks because I'm one of those people that I don't I don't want to be on a project for two years. That is zero fun for me. And I like moving in 900 different directions and they just give me stuff to do, which is great. It keeps me busy. It keeps me engaged. And there's always something new. So I'm learning, you know, he'll give me some things and I'm like, I mean, you know, I have no idea. He's like, but you'll figure it out. And so that's what works for me. But he's taken time to get to know me as a person. But I also, not early on in my career, but you have to advocate for yourself as well. If you're doing something and you like it, but every day, like you're getting up and you feel like a robot that you need to take some inventory of yourself and think, what could change? What's different? Is it the environment that I'm in? Do I need to start looking for something different? Or am I just not asking for opportunities that I know are available? I need to speak up. And those are conversations that you need to talk about to be like, hey, I see we have this going on. I Could I have some exposure to this? Could I be involved in it? And if your manager says no, I always encourage why and is it, do I need more and how can I get there? I think too many times, and I was guilty of it, you rely on your manager or supervisor to somehow be this mind reader and know exactly what you need and want. And that's that's just not the case. A, a, a good leader can anticipate things and give you opportunities, but at the end of the day, you still control your own destiny. So be your own advocate. That's really where you're going to find your joy. Are there opportunities can I get exposure to something? Can I take this training? Ask for it. There's been a lot of people that sit back and I think they're very unhappy where they're at, but I also know that they haven't spoken up for themselves. And they, I don't think it's not that they don't value their, themselves, right? I think they do. I just don't think they know how to ask for it or they feel bad asking for it. And, and you shouldn't. Is there a management lesson there? Is there something that a good boss can do to bring that out in people? Yeah, I think, you know, it takes time to establish a really good, comfortable relationship with your manager to have those open conversations. I would say it starts out in those one-on-ones, right? Let's not make them so clinical. Let's do a little peopling in those those meetings, right? Like getting to know each other and understanding more about that person. Asking them, what do you love working on? What's your favorite part of this project? Like, let's talk about those things because then a good manager can start to see really what makes that person tick, what really drives that person. And we can start to find opportunities for them because I, I think you can do that in any organization. It's um, probably one of those relationships that that takes a little bit of time, but once you get there, it, it's really important. But at the end of the day, you are your own advocate for your needs and wants, and you have to have the ability to speak up, which comes into some of those soft skills, right? Because sometimes that's what people would consider a difficult conversation. And how do we have those conversations without coming off as aggressive or needy, right? I think people 
you know, um, I don't want to be high maintenance. So getting them comfortable with having those discussions, ways to approach it, I think is really important. Yeah. When you talked about joy, you said, I have a leader that gives me the freedom to be me. Mm -hmm. How did you earn that freedom and how might others earn that freedom? I came to this organization two years ago from another organization and my current manager, we had lengthy conversations before I joined the company because I was leaving a, another company that I'd been at for 18 years. That's a that's a big decision. It's a, a huge leap. And so we wanted to make sure it was it was right. But he has that personality where you can be your authentic self. So I appreciate that he understands though that those things about me and and uses it to get things done and and do things. I'm lucky. Like I didn't have that that before. He has a lot of trust and faith in me and that is really important and scary all at the same time, right? Because he's like, "No, I trust you. Just just go do it." And I'm like, "But like shouldn't we shouldn't we talk about this a little more? Like shouldn't we?" So, even at my age that's scary, but that's him, right? Under other people that have managed me, I didn't always get that. I love this now. This is what really drives me and makes me want to work hard and and try things that I might not be familiar with. And it's something new. I think there's a great lesson in everything you just said, because you talked about cultivating joy. You said to do that, I have a great manager who gives me the freedom to be me. And I asked, how do you do that? You said, well, we we developed a rapport and a high level Mm -hmm. of trust. In your mind, even scary, you know, sometimes they call it imposter syndrome, like too much trust. Like, are you sure? I don't think I can do this. It's like, no, you can do this. Go. And I think there's a lot to be learned from just that little piece for people in their career trying to figure out how to be successful. Yeah. When you have a good manager, supervisor, it it makes all the difference. It really does. I was, I was thinking about your imposter syndrome. That definitely is. But I think it's good. It's healthy for everybody to have that. And even the younger generation coming out, I think some of it too. It's And also the lesson is, is you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to know everything like none of us do. And, and that's okay. Let's talk about culture and office politics. So someone starts entry-level job and they don't know anything about these unwritten rules of the organization. And we talked about it a little bit, but talk about these sort of unwritten rules. What are they? How do people struggle and how do you coach them through it? The example I have is we have this wonderful intern who is working for us, like a full-time intern, and she's great. And she is a go-getter and she will talk to anybody. And it doesn't matter the the hierarchy of the department. And I love that about her. But some people are like, she just talked to the head of so-and-so. And I'm like, oh, okay. How cool is that? <laughs> Can she, like she has networked and that's very different. And I sit back and I think it's great. But then I sit back and think, oh yeah, I mean, 
when I was her age and, and start, I probably wouldn't have, like I would have been, cause there's that invisible barrier that you can't cross right between where I'm at and someone else is at, unless I'm invited to that table and someone brings me in and here she is just pole vaulting across that barrier, which I think is great and needs to be more of, but I see that with that, that generation. But we have had some conversations. I'm like, listen, not everybody loves this. I don't, I don't want you to stop, but let's navigate a little better. Like, let's do some introductions and and kind of navigate it that way. I still will still get you to the people you want to talk to, but it's kind of playing that game, which which sometimes just seems silly. But I mean, it's something that's that's really embedded in any organization. All right. So as we wrap up, we have one question that we ask everyone. What are you curious about and learning now? Any uh, personal passion projects, curious learning? Um, Yeah, I always, I have a hundred year old house. So I always am doing some kind of project and I've gained a lot of DIY skills. I think this summer is outdoor stuff, which I'm not super excited about, but we'll get there. So there's always a YouTube video that I have to sit and sit and watch and ask a thousand questions to my dad about how I could do this. (laughs) Beautiful. Shannon, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Leading Up, a podcast from Udemy Business. We'll be back next Wednesday with another episode to help you level up your leadership skills. Follow the show so you never miss a new episode. And if you like the show, leave a rating or a review. We love the feedback and it really helps us find new listeners. To learn more about Leading Up or how Udemy can help you develop leaders at scale and move business forward, visit business.udemy.com. The Leading Up podcast is produced by Udemy in partnership with Pod People. Special thanks to our production team, Alex Vickmanis, Amy Machado, Brian Rivers, Danielle Roth, and Carter Wogan. Our original theme is by Soundboard. <laughs>